You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Cynthia Daniels. This podcast is supported by the Yan Molshavsky Foundation. I have music. I have records that I have produced. Mm-hmm. I have records that I have engineered and mixed and someone else has produced. I have recordings of my own songs yeah, that I have produced. Song. Yeah. So you see, by the time you win a Grammy, you've probably been working for 20 or 30 years. Or, the, a lot of us, many people one. are, yeah. of course, young and get their overnight sensation. But most overnight sensations are lifetime achievement. Yeah, no, it's really I ate some popcorn and called my mother Um, and then regretted that I didn't go do it. (laughs) Yeah, because we have to have our things. It's, you know, it's a reward. Well, how I was drawn to engineering is perhaps the critical shift because, of course, I was drawn to music at a very early age. I came of age in the early 70s, late 60s. So a huge uh, cultural and um, social shifts were occurring at that time. And my introduction to rock and roll, I was no different from a lot of young teens who were just completely turned on by music. And it was also a very much of a saving grace, music. I mean, I think many people have felt that way, that my ability to involve myself and envelop myself in the music of the day whether it was the Beatles or Pink Floyd or Yes, because I was into orchestral progressive rock, mm-hmm. as well as David Bowie and people like that. It, it just, it pretty much, the Rolling Stones was the soundtrack to my life and pretty much saved me from whatever demons may be apparent in people's lives, young lives. I looked at the back of an album cover and saw there was a job recording engineer. And I thought, you know, that, that sounds like something I'd like to do. And I began to investigate what that was and of course we had no internet so things went much slower and there was a school in New York City which was like a trade school the Institute of Audio Research Mm -hmm. and so I went to Boston University for film and broadcasting because they did not have sound engineering or recording engineering as a major there were no matriculated schools none you got Mm -hmm. your certificate it was a trade school so I did that in the summer and I began doing live sound so by the time I was 19 I was already involved in my career, getting internships wherever I could in Boston, where I I went to college. And it's quite courageous, too, because I imagine that time, uh, not only was there an actual infrastructure of training, education that we have now, but like as a a young woman... Were any of your colleagues young women? No, none of my colleagues were young women, and you know... In retrospect, did I have my multitude of Me Too moments? Of course. Absolutely. With the things we put up with, yeah. So the guy, the kid set me up, you know. He set me up. He said, this is your first night. You're going to do it alone Mm -hmm. at the club. Oh, yeah. And he uh, kept the mic locker locked. Oh, right. And some very big bands showed up. Wow. The meters who were part of the, at that time, the Neville Brothers. Oh. And there I was. A young girl. There was nowhere else you would want to be but A&R Recording, where four rooms were going 24 hours a day and to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And that a moment where I closed my eyes is because that is the time when I removed myself from the verbal idea and, and actually try to explain to you what the purpose is of my job, which is to channel and be of service to music and to understand every aspect of music, no matter how many years that takes. To be part of another creative process and to have your own creative process as a person who is channeling other people's music. I practice every morning for several hours, Uh which I've had to give up for now for a week, Uh which beats surgery, where I would Uh have had to give it up for 
much, much longer. I can only say and hope, because I like to think of myself a futurist and someone who does not eschew that which is coming ahead and where only the past, that was the real way to do it. No, that there will be a, there'll back. be a synthesis yeah. and a new form of mastery because there mm. will never be a replacement for true mastery. My whole house was just a recording studio and I didn't live with anybody and that worked. And so they helped me sort of build a booth and I inherited their local business because they moved to West Hampton, which is mm. not the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. That is on the west of the Shinnecock Canal. Mm-hmm. And people in the Hamptons, East Bridge, Sag Harbor, and Montauk, don't want to cross the Shinnecock Canal. Yeah. They want to be out here in their rarefied yeah. atmosphere in their home, near their home. Yeah. And as I developed my business more into that room and was doing bands and local bands, and I had already been mixing people I had already been working with bands out here who had heard about me as an engineer who had come from New York and was living out here and could help them produce their records. I was already doing work for local artists as well, some of whom are excellent, Nancy Atlas, etc. And that's when I started my radio show around 2009, and I was still working out of this little tiny space, and then I got a partner, and then it was time to build a nice new recording studio because mm-hmm. it was really a deal-breaker. Well, Shaka Khan is an interesting project because they called me because Shaka Khan wanted to record a standards record because some of her favorite songs, like To Sir With Love and Is That All There Is by Peggy Lee or who was, was made famous by Peggy Lee and Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever, etc. Were those, those were her favorite songs. So she got together with Eve Nelson, who is a great arranger and composer of her, in her own right, but also a player and an arranger. And they got together and when Eve needed to find an engineer who could record a big band as well as strings, because we didn't know we were going to record the London Symphony Orchestra in Abbey Road for that project yet, they called me because I was the only engineer they knew who could do that. And so my relationship with them was one of friendship as well as, of course, of really creative work. And so it was a high point for all of us because we went to Clinton recording. We recorded with Joe Sample was one of the arrangers, who's one of the greatest known jazz pianists. And there was a lot of, you know, he did a great arrangement for Around Midnight, which is a jazz standard that Shaka sang. And because there are lyrics put to almost every jazz standard. And I had a huge part of my career in the 80s where I was recording a lot of jazz musicians, Kenny Barron and all kinds of people. I was in my 20s. Bass is one of the hardest things to control and in a room, knowing whether you have the right amount of bass, meaning is your mix going to sound as good outside the studio as it does inside the studio? Because that's the critical thing about building a studio and a room. Accurate mix room means does it sound just as good out there? Are that clients just as happy? Are you happy when you put it in the car? I still go out to the driveway. I play it in my car. I play it in the client's car. And I get a lot of information. I, I have a woman, a lead guitar player in my band, OCDC, but, and she is quite amazing. As far as, you know, I have a band, we call them the East End Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. So Randolph Hudson on guitars, Cliff Black plays guitars and bass, James Bernard on drums, and then there are many other wonderful musicians out here, and you better believe I've got all their numbers, and we all have personal relationships, and we have a beautiful, inclusive local music community out here where we perform for other people we perform for each other there's always open mics there are always places to gig i have been writing words 
uh, since I was very young, a kid, and did some graduate work in poetry, as a matter of fact. A journaler, Bruce Wallace, one of the artists you've been speaking with, he and I are very close friends, and we, we certainly used each other as a, a writing backboard for, for years. What I usually do for the journaling is not just write for myself, but I usually have a couple of friends where where I express a lot of thoughts and, and feelings and stories, and, you know, I've started a book of short stories, and so I've always always been into writing and consider myself an okay writer. Perhaps I have, you know, at times, at the best of times, I have an original voice, if not verbose. Four hours goes by, I don't even notice. Yeah. And, of course, I developed carpal tunnel because I'm not a spring chicken. So that was the downside. But it has made me come alive again in ways that I hadn't felt it ever. Yeah. With Beyonce, I'm hosting the sessions, and there are several, many engineers who work with her. Yes. With Julie Andrews, we're doing a lot of movie work. So I'm doing a lot of voice work or helping her with a really cool show called The Green Room, yeah. Julie's Green Room, yeah, that's which is kind of a, a Muppets meets the actor's studio. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> that's a great And show. so we, we do, you know, we do movie work. We do ADR work. She's in a lot of movies. She's, she's, she's amazing. Me, she's, Minion. Wow. She, she's a little bit older now. And she did not let the accident with her voice keep her back from writing books. We won a Grammy together for some of her books she's written with her daughter, Emma Hamilton. And it's just, she is an amazing artist and more importantly, one of the kindest, most friendly, caring, and open human beings I've ever met in my life. And there's just probably nobody who's met her who wouldn't say the same. I can't wait so to meet her. So it makes her very special as a human being. She's the, the first movie I saw was Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, she really <laughs> like is Mary. She really is Mary <laughs> Poppins. She, she really... is so kind and so I was like friendly. And... I wanted my mother to be like her. Why could you be like her? Well, you know, we all want our mother to be Mary Poppins. You know, it can be painful to stay awake. Or it can be a revelation to become awake, which is why people are learning how to meditate and why that's coming into schools. Because mm -hmm. there's an awakening to yourself and to the goodness and possibility in this world. And people like David Eagleman, who calls himself a possibilitarianism, I think, <laughs> some silly name, and he's the first to have a sense of humor. He's one of the most original thinkers out there, David Eagleman. Wow, I would love to talk. Oh my God, he's amazing, you've got to check out. And something, things like TED Talks. Like, why would you need to listen to repetitive, stress music yes. <laughs> when you can listen to a TED talk which would open your mind or podcast where your mind can be consistently open and you can come alive and have a second chance every day of your life okay. and that is how I live my life yeah. and that is how I teach people want to mm -hmm. teach people to live their lives and that is how I want my artists the artists I work with who entrust me with their music and their souls to understand that every day can be a new beginning and that there's so much wonder in the world. You know, so much to, you know, and that's, that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I grew up in a certain time and place, and we had art class and sports mm -hmm. class, and we had required creativity hour mm -hmm. and required listening hour. Most of the time I spent, you know, dreaming about other things. But, I mean, I suppose keeping all of that in the schools is good, but I think there's a lot of there are a lot of new avenues now that are opening up and also these um, magnet schools where, you know, I think right. there's a lot of possibility in educational systems. And I think that 
education in general is where the main problem is in, you know, the perpetuation of poverty and a kind of a welfare existence. And, and the fact that, unfortunately, you know, socially, we're very, we're very socially determined as young people. And so, you, you know, you go with your peer group and it's just not cool to be educated and to study in yeah. the places where education is the only thing that's going to get them out of realizing that, you know, money is where it's at. It is cool to be creative. Yeah. It is cool to spit and make poetry every uh-huh. day, all day long, you know, with each other. I mean, like guys sit around, guys who yeah. are used to be, you know, all about physical violence. They, they sit around and they're just like rapping. I just love to hear about that. I'm a huge uh-huh. proponent against earbuds. No uh-huh. one should be sticking anything even remotely loud near their ears, yeah. eardrums, nobody. Mm-hmm. That's the one of the worst inventions to ever come along was an earbud, mm-hmm. ever. And I would never wear them. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot scientifically about this, but one thing I do know is that overcompressed music is distorted music. And distorted music, distortion has an introduction of harmonic frequencies that um, absolutely create an, an inurement and an, an inability to discern certain sounds and basically make people deaf. Okay, mm-hmm. bottom line, new music is overcompressed, ultra distorted, and even at low levels will create deafness. Mm-hmm. And and this is scientifically proven. Yeah. And that means we've got this entire generation and somehow I feel like, you know, with all the internet and the our that attention disorder that we discuss, we're synthesizing into new human beings. But music is like a journey because yeah. it takes time. Yeah. So you get into this movement uh-huh. and you become an enveloped. I mean, I had these great headphones. I used to fall asleep every uh-huh. night in high school to Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Wow. Every night, you know, with these huge, beautiful AKG K240s. You know, what high school kid knows what an AKG K240 is? Do not waste your youth on being young. Oh, take the opportunities that you're handed mm-hmm. and do not squander them for uh, superficial things like social peer pressure. Learn to love yourself as soon as you can and know that if you are different, that that is the best thing. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.